Hey, this is Mark Slaughter of the band Slaughter, and you're listening to Focus on Metal, where all things are said. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to another week of Focus on Metal. And this week, we bring you a fairly lengthy chat with Mark Slaughter. A few weeks back, Richie got on the horn with Mark to talk about, uh, you know, some of the past history with Slaughter, stuff that he did with uh, with VVI, and uh, also what Slaughter is up to these days. And I do have to say that... Uh, I know uh, a little bit personally what Slaughter is up to these days because just a few weeks ago I managed to catch them at their uh, Malden appearance at uh, Richie's uh, favorite club. And I say that with big air quotes, um, club in Malden that uh, routinely puts bands on at, uh, you know, like 11 o'clock at night. And it just drives my co-host crazy. And especially when, they, you know, weeknight kind of thing when you don't really need to do that. But anyways, I really didn't mind that much. It was a Friday night. The girlfriend had actually got us a VIP table and uh, we were kicking back, enjoying the beers and just kind of watching the scene. And, uh, you know, even though it was uh, coming on late, didn't really affect the show that much. Mark and uh, and Dana and the rest of the band put on a pretty good show. Uh, sound was a little bit iffy, but then again, the sound in that room is always iffy. And the like, oddball part of it was that uh, they did a lot of covers and, and cover medleys as well. And you would think that with the uh, Slaughter catalog and other things, they could dig deep and fill out a full set of originals. So that was a little bit odd that they threw in as many covers and cover medleys as they did. But they did go through, as uh, as Mark talks about in the interview, you know, going through and doing all the hits. And they did do that. So a great talk with Mark Slaughter this week. But before we do that, what do you say we uh, indulge ourselves in a track of the week? All right, I figured that this week, if we're doing track of the week, I might as well try to keep it within some type of an 80s vein. And uh, you know what? I think this one does uh, so much more than that. It's literally a celebration of the 80s. Of course, I'm talking about Steel Panther, who back on the 27th of September put out their fifth studio album, Heavy Metal Rules. And you'd think, well, great, you're going to probably play the title track, Scott, right? Well, no, because uh, ironically... The song Heavy Metal Rules is uh, one of the uh, almost slowest songs on the album. So I'm going to have to revert to something that's a little bit more in the classic vein of Steel Panther. And uh, for those of you that are familiar with Steel Panther, then uh, you definitely know about songs like uh, Community Property and such. And this album, Heavy Metal Rules, is, uh, is more of the same. Music's great. Vocals are great. And, uh, you know, can't go wrong with the uh, the likes of uh, Satchel on guitar coming off of being in uh, Rob Halford's post-priest band fight. So, come on. There's, uh, there's some purebred stuff happening right there. But anyways, track of this week from the new one from Steel Panther called Heavy Metal Rules. And this one is called I'm Not Your Bitch. <laughs>
There you go. Track of the week. Do us have a favor. Go and pick up Heavy Metal Rules by uh, the band that celebrates all things of the 80s, Steel Panther. And with that, what do you say we turn the mic over to my buddy Richie and Mark Slaughter as they have lots of stuff to talk about this week. Hello. Hi, this is Mark. Hi, Mark. It's Richie. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing, man? Very good. Where are you, Nashville? I'm in Nashville, yeah. Yeah. Currently. It's um, it's weird. I've, every couple of years I'm doing, I do the show, I just get more and more musicians on, and they're all in Nashville. Well, it's just kind of to the place to live for. You know, I've been here about 22 years, and, uh, um, you know, it, it's Music City. There's music here. So it just it's more conducive to be around music than not, you know? Hmm. What, what made you want to move there? Um, it was, uh, when my boys, I live, you know, I'm from Vegas originally and, um, I, I, you know, I traveled the world and I just wanted to raise my kids in a little bit different environment than Vegas, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, um, it's kind of, you know, it's not too Southern, but it's Southern enough, you know, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a really cool place, you know, as it is in the East coast, people are, you know. You know, it's a real straight ahead, you know, it's, it, I really enjoy it. I really do. Yeah. yeah. But the West Coast is just, you know, it's just a demise of, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, it's just really, you know, it's, it's really hard for me because, you know, I was a young kid who grew up in Las Vegas and what I knew in Las Vegas is, is pretty much like Lake Mead, for instance, was the beautiful man-made lake that I spent a lot of time on when I was, you know, a kid. Mm-hmm. And now, now there's hardly any lake. I think they lost a mile of, of, uh, I think it's a mile of the, of the beach of the lake because it's gone down so much from water usage. Mm. So when you get back to Vegas, there's probably a lot of it you don't even recognize anymore. No. Yeah. I mean, after 22 years, two couple decades and the fact that, you know, the other thing is, is, is the culture, you know, it's a very, it's a different culture there than it is, um, for instance, in the South or in the East or especially in Europe where, you know, there's sites that people, you know, that this is what happened in 18 something, you know, and in Las Vegas, it's a very young town. And so, they want to build a new hotel. They just blow the other one down. So <laughs> even even the landmarks of what I used to know, they've imploded all of it. Yeah. You know, this is where I went to prom blown up. This is where I used to play blown up. You know, it's just like, and, and not saying that they didn't build nights or hotels, but you know, that's, it, it's changed things. The, the Sahara hotel is no longer there. Well, Sahara is named, named after the Sahara, you know, Sahara Avenue. Hmm. Huh. So, so you have all these in Desert Inn, same thing, Desert Inn's gone. So you have all these hotels and the things that you used to know, and they're gone. So, you know, that, that part of the culture was getting sad to me. Yeah, there's, there seems to be more and more musicians as well, especially from L.A. They've all moved to Vegas now because that's where the work is. Um, well, it's Vegas or, or Nashville is the two. Yeah, it's, they, they seem to be moving. Yeah, Nashville is the other one as well. Um, yeah. Have you ever been tempted to move back home to Vegas? The only way I would be back home in Vegas um, 
realistically would be is if I, we had a residency or something that was ongoing for work. Hmm. Um, you know, I had an opportunity to do some voiceover work in Los Angeles and, and, you know, I just don't want to live in LA. You get, you know, it, when you can pick and choose where you want to live for your, for your living, it's, it's different. Hmm. And, um, um, you know, I haven't even stepped foot in LA except for basically a connection in, in over 10 years. Wow. So, you know, it's, it's funny that, that when the work doesn't present itself, you just, you know, I'm sure if I was there, there'd be, you know, good voiceover work and stuff, but I'd have to be there. You have to be physically in the city. Hmm. So, um, so, you know, again, um, you know, traveling as much as I've traveled since BVI 1986 to now, you know, that's a lot of years of knowing the different parts of the country. And, uh, I've, I've probably convinced a good good dozen people to move out here to Nashville because it's just, I think it's a great city. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who, who's from there or who's living there now. I'm talking to Tom Kiefer on Thursday. I know he he lives there. John Karabi lives there. Damon Johnson yeah. lives there. Kip Winger lives there. Any of those yeah, the, the Nelson brothers, uh, Billy Sheehan, there's a whole slug of us out here. Yeah. Well, did you ever get to jam together out there? Um, I have with Kip and, uh, and the Nelsons, uh, Billy, who's an amazing bass player. He's, he travels the world. I mean, he seems like he's hardly ever here. So I haven't had a chance to, to rock out with him, but you know, again, state of the art musician can't ask for better, you know? Yeah. One of the things that a lot of the musicians would say to me when I bring that question up, who live there, they're all, all the musicians are always away, especially on the weekends. Yeah, that's true. That is true. And there's there's uh, the rock and roll residency with, you know, Jeremy and Phil and Ryan Cook and those guys who, you know, had like a jam on a Tuesday night. And that was nice. You know, I got to see, you know, Rachel from Skid Row is a, is a good friend of mine. And so it was more like a get together to hang out. Chuck Garrick from who plays with Alice Cooper and Bisto Blanco, hmm. you know, um, but, you know, it's just, you know, lately I've just been, you know, kind of writing new material and, and coming up with new stuff. So when you're in the studio, you kind of you, you kind of recluse for a little bit and then you come back out, you know? Yeah, yeah. So with Slaughter now, uh, you got Blast back. Can you tell me how, all that came? how did that come about? Yeah. Yeah, we have Blast back. He's he's actually on some of the upcoming shows uh, because of TSO, the Trans Siberian Orchestra. He'll be out uh, doing that for about three months. But um, it's just one of those things. I think it's time. I mean, um, you know, he did some one-off shows with me when the rest of the guys were playing with uh, um, they were playing with Vince, meaning Dana and Blando, and. Uh, it was one of those things that was just like, you know, it, it would be nice to, to, to do this. And we talked about it and it just kind of fell into place. And it, it's such a joy to have, you know, the original member back, you know, it really is. Mm. Filling in for uh boss on, on, on this run is going to be Will Hunt. And he's one of my favorite drummers um, ever. You know, he's a great guy. Is and the, he, uh, you know, from Evanescence is who he plays with. Yeah. Is that this weekend? Um, yes. Yes. He will be out this weekend. Yeah. Uh, you're playing about 
40 minutes away from me on Friday night. Are you going? I'm hoping to go. I've never okay, seen good. I, Mark, I've never seen you. You can probably tell I'm from Ireland and I don't think you ever played there. No, I, I don't think we played in Laconi. I think we, we might have years ago at a biker thing. Mm, mm. Uh, but uh, it was a biker thing, so I don't think there was much more than that, you know. Mm. So but yeah, we'll yeah, we'll we'll see you there and take care of you. Yeah. Sure. No I'm not from Laconia, I'm from Ireland. Yeah, yeah, I know. Oh, okay. Yeah, but you're but you're but you're living in New Hampshire now. I'm near, just near the border. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, gotcha. I think the one in Malden is actually closer to me. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, well, yeah. Deal. Yeah. Well, you you should go. We'll we'll make sure that uh, it works out for you. Okay. Um. Yeah, but it's uh it's been great. I mean, unfortunately, you know, for instance, for Slaughter, we never made it to Ireland. We played in in, in the UK. And a lot of the European dates that we had were cut short because of the Gulf War. And, you know, we were working a lot. We had a lot of things going on. And uh, we just we just concentrated here in the United States because, you know, it's a building process, as you know, to do shows in another part of the, of the world. You start off playing, you know, of, of different types of venues that are smaller, and then you work your way up, you know. Mm. I remember speaking to a lot of musicians, and the impression I always got back home was that the musicians never wanted to come and play in Europe. And in the last no. couple of years I've been speaking to them, I'm getting completely the opposite. No, no, you, you want to, but it's just one of those things of, let's see, how should I put it? Okay, so your record's hot in the United States. You're going to have a steak dinner, or you can go and have, you know, uh, you know, uh, a burger overseas. <laughs> so they're both good, but the thing is, is you're just like, but man, I, I want a steak. Yeah, <laughs> you just want a little bit more. <laughs> and again, that's it. Is it wrong? You know, sometimes it is wrong, but a lot of times it's the record companies that are pushing the bands to concentrate on the market where they're getting the radio play, you know. Mm, do you think sometimes now, Mark, that by concentrating on the American market and when that market crashed when grunge came in, that you should have maybe toured overseas a little bit more and you might have been able to weather the storm a bit better? I I think it would have been better, but it was also one of the things that one of the things that, that Dana and I noticed when we released the second record, um, you know, the, the wildlife record. Hmm.
um, was that we had a lot of, when we went over to do some press over over there, it was it was really interesting. A lot of people were like, well, you guys are a studio band. You guys know how to play in the studio, and you're just, that's what you do. You're just, you know, we were a live band, but we never played live uh, until we played with Kiss. Uh, that was our first show we ever played, meaning with Slaughter. I mean, we all all played in prospective bands. Dana and I played in, you know, in VVI and mm-hmm. Tim Tim and Bloss did the local scene and, and and did their thing. But you know, in other words, so we stepped into this, you know, kind of a Cinderella story almost that decide that. You know, we went and did a show with our first show was with Kiss. We came off the stage and there was a gold record waiting in our dressing room. <laughs> so it was it was very, very different for us. Um and because of that, a lot of Europe because of the bands who slash it, you know, try you know, go out there and just beat the crap out of it and go and work it hard and they didn't see it as we really worked hard. You know, we paid our dues in other areas, not with slaughter. Slaughter just kinda you know, the songs are written right. The marketing was set up correctly, you know, and uh, I think that's why it had a success, you know. Mm. When you played in Europe, did you headline or did you go out with someone else? We uh, went out with Cinderella when we were over there. It was in 91. Okay. And then and then when we played over in, uh, um, you know, in, in, a, in a club out there, we played the, the marquee um, on our own. And uh, so, I mean, we we went over there, but it wasn't, like you said, there wasn't uh, a lot of emphasis. A lot of people don't realize that, let's say, for, for instance, there, there's, there's, you know, the Slaughter, for instance. Slaughter was, was signed yeah, out of New York, and... Being signed out of that area it turned into this. When the royalties came in, for instance, it was a sub deal to the other labels in Europe. So immediately going into a European market, they're getting 50% of what they would normally get because it wasn't an individual signing because it was an independent record label. Uh-huh. So we weren't priority going into Europe because of the way the deal was structured. You get what I'm saying? So, yeah, yeah, I get you. So, every, so everybody else was the, the focus. Everybody else was the, hey, we can we can win with this. And, you know, it was an American label. And, and again, I don't look at it as a negative at all. Chris Wright, who's the Chris and Chrysalis, is a brilliant man. He is the one who... Um, couldn't get Jethro Tull signed in through the management and they just decided to start a label. And when they started the label, that was Chrysalis. And if you think about the, the great music that came off that label, UFO, Robin Trower, Michael Schenker, Pat Benatar, Billy Idol, Huey Lewis in the news, very diverse slaughter, Sinead O'Connor. Um, you know, there's a lot of, it was very different. And it was very eclectic, but again, it wasn't conducive for the European um, uh, that side of it because it was a different royalty rate. Hmm. So, Mark, when did you get savvy 
to the business end of the music? Well, to be honest with you, it's like a baptism by fire when you get into it. Um, when I, I was a guitar teacher um, in Las Vegas, and I got a phone call from uh, a manager uh, friend who was said that there's a band that needs a lead singer, and it was uh, Rick Fox's Finn, which Dana Strum was producing. So I basically did a call from Dana to go out and sing um, backgrounds out there on, on this record and kind of try out as a vocalist. It's funny, I was a guitar teacher, but I was still getting calls to sing because I had a very unique voice. Uh-huh. Um, so anyway, I went down there, um, saw my friends in black and blue, um, Tommy Thayer and I hung out in the studio and I met Dana for the first time. Um, then fast forward, Vinnie Vincent, it didn't work out with Robert Fleischman to get a call. We're going to be on tour in a month and a half. Are you, are you, and can you be available? And of course I'm like, uh, just to sing. And they're like, yeah. So it was the Alice Cooper tour. So here's when my baptism by fires, put my guitar in the stand, said goodbye to 279 students that out for lessons that I was teaching a month. And I was a singer and, uh, we toured with Iron Maiden after that. Um, so I remember we were a glam band. Um, so it wasn't the really, the adversity against that band was much different than people would expect, mm. especially opening for Alice Cooper and Iron Maiden when we were going to our tree like we were. Mm-hmm. But, but it was, uh, it was, a, it was a good lesson to take your gloves off when you fight. And, uh, I, I look at that and I, I'm so thankful to have that opportunity. It was just great. Hmm. And I think that's really how I learned. I was 22 at the time, so yeah. So how, Mark, I was a kid. How did you deal with the failure when grunge hit and your career was basically, for want of a better word, going down the toilet? Well, it's it's this. Um, I still did what I did. I still made records. I still. I kind of went into a, a studio aspect of it and recording. I did uh, music for some shows in Vegas. I did some music for television, mm-hmm. uh, for Fox to be specific. And, you know, I just, uh, because I could play guitar, there was a different thing than just a singer sitting around going, what am I going to do? You know, I knew how to create. I wrote the songs um, along with Dana and on the slaughter stuff. So it's not like I didn't know how to structure songs and record it. <clears throat> Most people don't realize that Dana and I were the, we were the only band from our genre that wrote and produced our own music and still play it to this day. Mm. So it's very different. And again, we are almost because of that with, again, Europe didn't think that we were, because we produced ourselves, they almost looked at it as like these guys aren't real musicians because they didn't see us traveling around doing this. When it got slim, we still did it, but we tried to make financial sense uh, of it. A lot of bands broke up. We continued to tour in the United States. Didn't do a lot, but continued. Played Puerto Rico, started playing outside the U.S. a little bit more. 
fast forward, uh, you know, the last couple of years, we've played Sweden Rock Fest. You mm-hmm. know, there's, we played Hellfest in, you know, in the, the in uh, Wales. So we've, we've done a few, but we've also maintained the, the power of the music and the fact that we're not just doing it for, you know, for beer money. Yeah. Mark, so I, you know, so it's different. Yeah. Mark, how do, how do you convince a label on your first record? Would slaughter record that you're going to actually produce it when in that era it's Bruce Fairburn, Bob Rock, and you've outside songwriters, and you guys go in on on a debut album and say we're going to write all the songs ourselves and produce that. Like how how, how tough was that to, to get get over? Um, it was one of those things. It, it was here's what happened when I left the Vinnie Vincent and uh, Vinnie Vincent and Invasion. There was a um, there was a clause that I signed or a contract that I had signed. It was called the leaving member agreement that, uh, Jeff Aldrich, who is the A&R at the label. Once Steve Stevens left, Chris, you know, Billy Idol, they said, we need to make sure that we have every artist that signed, uh, that's playing with some of the big, you know, artists that we have an option on them. And it, and it was re- really smart on Jeff's side. What it was is, they had an option to pick up my option, which is basically under the contract of Vinnie Vincent, or if it was, for instance, Steve Stevens, which they missed the boat, it would have been under Billy Idol's contract. Uh-huh. And it's called the leaving member agreement. So I signed this leaving member agreement. I'm out on the road. I talked to Mike Bone, who was the president of the label at the time. And I said, you know, this is going nowhere. He said, hang in there. I'll make it worth your while. And lo and behold, before I even got home, they had the video for Nightmare on Elm Street that said, uh, the Vinnie Vincent invasion featuring Mark Slaughter. So they saw me as, as something that was going to work, but they didn't know that I wrote. So in that contract, it said that you have to write and record four songs and then it was up to their discretion if they were going to sign you. So Dana and I, you know, wrote some songs, found a couple other guys, which is Tim and Bloss, went into the studio in 1988, going into 1989. It was on New Year's night on the 31st. Uh And we recorded half of our record. And, and it was the demos we had were so good that there were other labels that were trying to get us to go with them. So I think that we proved it in not only the songwriting side of it, but in the fact that our demos sounded like records. They said, you guys do whatever you need to do. And uh, we said, well, look, here's how we're going to do it. If you don't give us the freedom to do it all ourselves, then we want to go with another label. We we don't want you to pick up the option. So they, it was kind of a poker bluff, but it worked. Hmm. And yes, there are and were some incredible um, producers that we would, you know, we had Mutt Lang, we would have loved to work with. You know, Bob Rock was great, but we really did it a, a different way. We 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 recorded it all ourselves and we just, you know, saved a lot of money and put it towards where it needed to go, which is launching the band. Mm, mm. So, Mark, I want to ask you about Bobby Rock's book. Have you had a chance to read it? I have, yes. Uh-huh. What do you think of it? 
Oh, I thought it was great. Yeah, I've interviewed Bobby to help promote it. I thought his memory is amazing. And I said it to him when I spoke to him. Yes. Um, uh-huh. I thought it was just really well put together. Now, I didn't realize until I read the book how young you were back then. Oh, yeah. Like yeah you, he, called me, he called me the slaughterhouse kid is what he called me. Yeah. And, and the other thing I remember talking to Bobby a lot about was Dana's role. He was always on yes. the phone and... You know, yes. trying to do deals and that. Was he the same when you started Slaughter? He brought that over from the Vinnie Vincent? Yeah, he was. And and he and he knew that, how should I put it? We both knew that there was something special uh, that and in, a, in a duo side that we could really do well with. And that was probably the same thing that, you know, Lennon McCartney, you, you know, they, you just know that there's something that's different. You can be two totally different people, but you can still know how to, one can complement the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, uh, I think that's what it was with Dana. I think that in certain things, you know, that I lacked, he had and the things that, you know, he lacked, I had. So it, it was just, it was a really good partnership. Hmm. And so when we were putting it together, we, you know, we wanted Bobby to be a part of it, but it was such a, it was very, very difficult in that time. And Bobby, you know, is, is so eloquent in, in his words. He's, you know, he's always been that way. And you know, the funny thing is, is that when Bobby call up, he'd say, so let me, let me go over something with you. When this happened and this happened, we would have, we both had such recall. I mean, actually, all three of us, we all remember everything because we didn't drink, because we weren't, you know, doing drugs or smoking pot. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but we just didn't do it. I, it was, you know, it's just how it was. So all of our memory for all of us is very, very well intact. Hmm. So, Mark, I want to ask you about guitars. A lot of guys, I, uh, guitarists that I have on, I'll ask them, how many guitars do they have in their house? So how many mm. do you think you have at home? At home right now? Yeah. Um, I have uh, I have about 40. Okay. Um, I've got maybe six or seven of them that I've built. And uh, the rest of them are ones that I've acquired over the years. Okay. Are you a collector? Not really. Uh, I, I, I'm not really a collector. I'm a, I, I look for tone. I look for, um, you know, I don't have the Les Paul from 1958, you know, and there's, I just, I have the guitars that, that, you know, that also mean something to me. My mom and dad bought me a guitar for my graduation from Paul Hamer. Paul Hamer is from Hamer Guitars. And as I taught guitar, I just found a letter not too long ago that Paul Hamer said, thanks for playing Hamer guitars and please come play at the NAMM show. So I ended up playing guitar at his booth at the NAMM show the year before I actually joined the Vinnie Vincent invasion. Wow. So it's, it's just, it's very odd, mm. you know, it's very odd how it works that way. Do you have a favorite guitar you write music on? Right now there's, there's a couple, believe it or not, there's a, 
there's a, uh, a gentleman named Eddie Carlino that I just uh, was introduced to from the KISS convention who does Paul's uh, real sparkly guitars, the rhinestones and stuff. He he does his uh, Ivan as and he's also a guitar builder. I have a few of his guitars that are, have been really, really inspiring to me. So that's kind of what I'm playing live. Um, there's also another company called Faustinus Guitars, a young young man out of New Jersey who has built a very, it's very different. It's very abstract. And I think that's what I look for is abstract as well as not just the same old typical tone. I, I'm like, I'm a tone chaser. I'm always looking for something different. Hmm. You should talk to Michael Sweet then. He's the same thing. Oh, I know. I know Michael. He knows me. We're both. Every time we get together, all we talk is gear talk. <laughs> yeah, he's he's him and I. Him and I certainly. And and you know what? It's it's funny. I opened for Striper in 1986, just prior to joining the Vinnie Vincent Invasion. And Michael and I were at day of show. I was like. Uh, I said, what kind of pickup is that in your guitar? He goes, I don't like that one. What do you have? I said, I have an 81. He goes, I'll swap you my, you know, my, my 83 for your 81. So the two of us were pulling our guitars apart <laughs> just, just an hour before the show. And I still have that guitar with the, you know, the pickups that we swapped when we were kids. You know? Wow. Wow. It's funny. Yeah. So yeah, Michael, he, he is a tone chaser and, and uh, he's he's a good guy. Yeah. yeah. So the music you're writing now, Mark, is that for another solo album? Uh, for another solo album, for just you know, it's it's a writing thing. If you, it, it's hard in this in today's industry because you're looking at it going, where is it going? What are we going to do? It's not the same. You know, da 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 da. I think it comes to the point of you, an artist makes art. And sometimes you don't even have to put it out in public, but you continue to sketch and draw and do the things you do to, to have that art. And that's really where I'm at as, as an artist. I don't really know where the pulse of the industry is in, in my practical side. Um, and, and I'm still trying to figure that out because this, you know, the money making of how much time you put into something is, is much different. Mm. So, so I, you know, it's almost like an independent label thing is probably what I would do. Like I did on my first solo CD is probably where I would go at this point. Mm. I, I put on, I, when I knew I was talking to you, I put on halfway there a couple of times over the weekend. I don't know whether anyone has said this to you, but I'm picking up a lot of queen influences on it. Oh, absolutely. Queen Beatles. Um, you know, Motown, I, I just, I think, I think what it is, and, and I don't know what it is that you grew up with, but, you know, it's all the stuff that I loved is a part of who makes you who you are. You know, you're a product of your environment. And, it, you know, I can gladly say it was, it was Queen, it was the Beatles, it was Van Halen, it was Sabbath, it was, you know, and you, you add all that in a blender and you go, well, what the hell is that? Well, that's, you add my voice over the top of it and that's, that's what I do. Mm. You know? 
So, Mark, I don't, I don't run from it. You know, I don't run from it. Yeah. So, Mark, how has your voice changed over the years? I think it's gotten a little raspier because you know there's a, there's a, a, you know, I have been singing all these years. I never stopped. I've, I've never. There, there hasn't been any years that we haven't toured. Mm. Um, so I've always done shows every year when a lot of these artists were, you know, well, I'll stay home. I'm not going to do it anymore. I, you know, this guy, I can't stand that guy. Or, you know what I mean? Yeah. The band dynamics. We always went out and did it. Um, and I think, again, it was because the, the guys who made the music um, and, and were part of it from the very beginning, from the inception of it to the end of it, it was us. It's not us playing a Desmond Child song. And I don't knock Desmond as a songwriter. He's absolutely brilliant, but he wrote for everybody. So there was a, you get what I'm saying? So yeah. I think we had a little bit more invested in it than the average band. There was, mm. a, uh, there was a, there's an emotional investment as opposed to just a money grab. Yeah. So have you ever had any surgery on your vocal cords over the years? I did. I did in 1992. I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I did. I had a, I had a nodule. And again, the, the, the hardest thing is a vocalist and every vocalist, Gwen Stefani, Bonnie Raid, Lionel Richie. I mean, it doesn't matter how hard you sing. It's the talking that kills your voice. It's, it's the, it's the wear and tear in between the shows that's more detrimental. Because when you sing, you actually support properly. Like Celine Dion, who you know, has a phenomenal voice still, she does her shows and then she goes into voice rest every day. She doesn't even talk. She writes on a piece of paper. Hmm. So, so how do you preserve your voice? You shut up. Well, guess what? I'm not a shut up guy. I'm, I come from... You know, from the soccer where I come from in Las Vegas, you know, we were out there. We we burned the candle at both ends. That's what we did, you know. And uh, so I think the wear and tear of talking, again, for any singer, especially when you get tired, you start, like, when you get really tired, you start talking, like, you get like that. So your voice, <laughs> so your voice starts, your, what, what happens if you look at the physio, physiology of that? Your voice is flapping. Your vocal cords are flapping, so they rub more when you're tired and talking mm. than when than when you've rested and they've retained their elasticity, so to speak. What about taking care of your voice now and your warm ups? Um, have you gone to a vocal coach and was had a look at what you I do? Did, I, I did in '92, and I still still use it but at the same time i you know kind of the ronnie dio side of things sometimes i'll go yeah my voice is good and i just kind of go and do it and i know that's kind of it's really not the how should i say the schooled way of doing it but sometimes you know you just know you know you there's little exercises you do and you go yeah it's cool i'm i'm, I'm there Mm. And then I don't over I don't overly exercise. I just go, yeah, it's going to be good. Yeah, Mark, Mark, is it better on your voice to just be doing weekend fly-in shows than a run of a couple of weeks and end to end? Um, I think it is because what happens is the bus air, um, the travel, the change of climate. You know, 
in other words, you know, like right now in, in Tennessee, ragweed is just everywhere. So the ragweed, if you have any allergies at all, you're, you're doomed. Um, because this stuff is just floating around the air. Well, if you're not used to it, it'll really mess you up. So if you fly in and do your show, well, you're just getting a little bit of dosage of it as opposed to a massive dosage of it. Hmm. You know what I mean? Same yeah. thing for, for somebody who's not from Las Vegas. It's a very dry city because there's no moisture in the air. So when you get there, a lot of singers, they call it Vegas throat. All the entertainers had that. Elvis, Sinatra, all of them. And it, the main thing is, is you steam and to keep the moisture down in your throat. You know, take a hot, hotter shower, longer shower to to get the moisture into your vocal cords. Because drinking water, you know, water doesn't, when you swallow, it doesn't go past your vocal cords. It just goes in your mouth. Mm. But, but if your body's hydrated, it's a myth. So if your body's hydrated, then of course you're, you're going to sing better because you have the hydration, but it's not the water physically going past your vocal cords. It's moistening your cords up. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. A lot of the singers I've spoken to as well, what they dreaded hearing when they were on the road is when someone said, I'm getting sick. Oh yeah. Um, exactly. Were you someone who got exactly. sick a lot on the road? Um, I did. Um, the, the reason being, especially in the earlier years was all the shaking of the hands that you did. We did some massive meet and greets, over 300 people sometimes, and we were on tour with Kiss. And, you know, you'd run into somebody who was sick and didn't say anything and shook your hand, and, you know, they wiped their nose with their hand. And <laughs> so it's, it's one of those things, you know. It's, that's funny you bring that up. I, I remember I was backstage about a year ago talking to Glenn Hughes, and he had, he had a load of people outside. And the first thing he said to the roadie when he came in was, I need some wipes. I need to make sure yeah. my hands are, are, are clean. And I would have never yeah. picked I would have never picked up on that. I'm not a singer. Well, when you're a singer, because what happens is you get one sinus thing that starts dripping on your vocal cords and it's like it's like some it's like being a baseball player and somebody hitting you in the arm all day before you go play a game. You know, you're beating it up. So you it, it's a different I, again, I was always pretty conscious of it, but not to the point of, of like Michael Jackson, who wore a glove because he didn't want the germs at all. You know, mm. That's why he wore a glove. People don't know that. It was on his right hand because he shake everybody's hand. He didn't want to get sick. Makes perfect sense now, doesn't it? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. People try to push me.
Have you ever pulled off a live show and beforehand going into it, you said to yourself, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've had, I've had it, I've had it when we went years ago, one of them in Erie, Pennsylvania, when I had, you know, stomach poisoning. It was coming out both ends. I thought there's no way I'm going to make it. Ugh. And I did. And then there was another time where, you know, I was sick on the road and, and I had, I didn't have a talking voice. And I'm like, I don't, I'm just going to go out and do it. And I walked out on stage and I don't know, it's, you call it, spirit you call it a fighting attitude you call it you know just a shot of adrenaline or whatever it is but then my voice was there i mean it's just you just don't know you really don't know mm. all you can do is just go out there again as as i learned back from the vdi years is you go off with your gloves off and you just go fight it out whatever it is yeah so how much rehearsal time do you get to do now with slaughter we never rehearse Never. never rehearsed. Okay. So it's tough to change up the set list then, is it? We we have, but yeah, maybe in sound check we'll say, hey, how about this? And we'll do something in sound check is, is about as rehearsed as we get. Okay. Okay. So, so Mark, how much touring did you do on Halfway There? Did you get to do as many shows as you would have liked? Not really. Um, it was one of those things that went out and did a few shows that you, you start to go, what makes financial sense? And, yeah. You know, basically me going out to do halfway there is not me doing halfway there. It's people going, I want to hear fly the angels and up all night and the songs I love. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, so they want to hear where you came from probably more than where you're going. Very, very, it's a very, um, it was 1995 when I went and saw Paul McCartney in Las Vegas at the stadium there. And we were just, I think, 10 rows back, right in the middle, perfect seats. And Paul McCartney starts breaking into the Beatles and, you know, people are jumping and singing and playing wings and they're like, you can see people are emotionally moved in every aspect of it. And they're standing up and just in it, singing it. And then he goes, I'd like to do a new one for you. And people ran out to buy t-shirts, went to go get a drink. And the whole crowd just almost like sat down. And I'm like, this guy's still doing brilliant things, but they're not the audience just wants to know what they loved and have that nostalgia based thing more so than here's a new one. And I looked over at Dane at that time and I said, we're fucked. I'll never forget us saying that because <laughs> if there was an era that was changing. And when Paul McCartney goes to play a new one and nobody cares, then why are they going to give a shit about slaughter by any means? Yeah, I'm I'm one of these guys, Mark. When I go to a show, I want to hear the deep cuts, but I al- mm-hmm. I also know that I'm in the the five percent of people at the show who want to hear the deep cuts, and the other people just want to hear the hits. That's all they know. They didn't get deep into the record like you and I would do, and you know we're looking. You and I are looking for the heartbeat of every record. They're just looking for you know 
what makes them happy when they're driving in their car down the road or, you know, at a picnic or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, it's a different, it's a different mentality. And we, we actually look at our royalty statements to the most downloaded songs and to the most, into the, the songs that are having most activity or play. And that's the songs we concentrate on. I know it's kind of a, we're leaving a lot off the plate, but at the same time, we're playing what people want us to play. Hmm. Well, if if you were to put one song into the set that you very rarely played or never played a slaughter song, which which one would you pick? Um, there's off. Uh, there was a there's a record revolution. There's a song called Heaven It Cries. I used to just love to play that. It was very Zeppelinish, and um, it was an open tuning like what Jimmy did back in the day. And I just loved the feel of that song. But, you know, again, it's such a deep cut. Nobody knows it. When we play something like that, people look at us like, when are they going to play that hit? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you're looking at the audience with more of a question mark over their face. And then there's that, like you said, the 5%. They're just like, oh, my God, they're, freaking, they're doing it. You know? <laughs> It was probably you and a few, you know, or myself that was, you know, that was in the audience who would be just like into it. But you lose your audience. It actually is detrimental to a show to do things that are too obscure when people are just not there for that. Hmm. I'm, I'm sure. You know, on, we, I'm sure on some ahead. some level, Mark, I, and I don't really, I don't think I brought this up with anyone else, but we're talking about this, so I'm going to go there. That mm-hmm. it must be frustrating as a musician. To, to only play a certain amount of songs when you have a, a much more extensive catalog. It is, but it's, it's the, what are you hired for? You know, say for instance, and now we're doing venues we normally don't do this upcoming week. We usually do casinos. Hmm. We, we usually do fairs. So, so like, you know, for instance, well, we, we do, we are playing the Mohegan Sun, so we're doing one casino. So, Normally, it's, you know, when you play a venue like that, these people just want you to go in and play the least amount of time. You know, sometimes we're fighting to play for over an hour because they want the people off the, out of the ballroom or the showroom and into the casino. They want the people there. That's what they're using you for as a draw. And the hardest thing as an artist that you realize is, it's not the music that you're there for. It's to get people in. And it's the same thing with radio. It's not about your music that's good. It's just what the advertisers want. Mm. <laughs> like Pepsi, you know, they, they, you know, do they like Slaughter? Oh, yeah, that's a good band. So they're all of a sudden Pepsi's behind. You know, it, it's the car dealers who are paying the radio. You know, it, it's a... It's the weirdest part of it. You realize it's not the music that we all love and get caught up in. How come and why not? And, and that's why we've, you know, radio has changed as much as, much as it has because it was, it was so structured towards the consumer, towards the consumer, meaning whatever's going to drive them to spend money more than it was about the music. 
Mm. Now, Mark, because I've never seen you guys live before, and the debut album, I believe, is 30 years old next year. Um, Have you given thought about playing the whole record in the same running order from start to finish? Yeah, we've talked about it, and it's never been done. We never did it. Okay. So it would be, it would be, uh, that would require a rehearsal. Because, because, because we, we have not, uh, we haven't done that. There's some songs we never played live. Okay. That was my next question. You know, that's not enough. We never played that. Okay. And, uh, she wants more. We did, um, you know, thinking of June, I, we played it one time when I think when Martha Quinn on MTV said, how about thinking of June? And we, we did like an impromptu jam of it, uh, uh, you know, without any rehearsal. I mean, again, if you write it, you know it. It's just a part of what you do. It's just you got to go back to make it right. Um, you know, my recollection is good, but 30 years is a lot of years, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mark, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, Absolutely. Do you want to give out all the social media sites where people can get in touch with you? Um, yeah, uh, it's uh, Mark Slaughter Official on... Uh, on Instagram and uh, I think it's uh, Mark Slaughter 33 on uh, Facebook or on Twitter. I'm sorry. And official Mark Slaughter on Facebook. Okay. You're everywhere. In other words, I'm everywhere. And if you just type in, you type in Mark Slaughter and I'll probably <laughs> pop up one way or another. But, you know, it, the truth is, and, and social media, I mean, as I'm just not the best at it. I, I really, you know, I know that I'm lacking in some ways there, but I think it's one of those things that I'd rather, sometimes I'd rather be playing my guitar and structuring a song than talking about uh, the new thing that the Kardashians are wearing. You know, it's just not my thing. Sometimes, Mark, you're better off staying off the social media. It's too negative. Yeah. Yeah. I, and again, I don't... My mom said something that I, has always stuck with me, and that is, you know, what you think of me is none of my business. And I actually said it in one of the songs, Get Used to It, because I think it's such a strong, good message. If you start worrying about what people think of you and start con, you know, conforming to be something else, then you're not you. Hmm. So I've always, you know... I'm uh, just try to just try to be me. I'm not trying to to be something else. I have my influences. I have the things that that I love and that are a part of who I am. But it's not the complete who I am. So again, you know, I really try to focus in on uh, on on the music. You know, ultimately, did someone ever try and push you down a route that you weren't comfortable with? That you you said this is not me. Um. No, I, I, I don't think there's anything I said. Oh, that's a, that's a mistake. Okay. Because I, I think that I think musically, because I was always, you know, slaughter. We wrote our own stuff, and and I've appeared on, you know, tribute records and stuff like that. Um, and there's songs that I did a tribute. Uh, I, it was on the Michael Schenker tribute that he played on. There's a song called uh, "I Ain't Talking." And the original version of it, the vocal was weird, and I, I it was it was very sixties, you know, like seventies, like almost beboppy thing. 
I, I wasn't real comfortable with it, but I, I still did it, you know, mm-hmm. you, you can't, you can't say this is, you can't, I sh- should say, box yourself into something that you just have to stay in the box. I really try to be diverse, listen to jazz, listen to everything. I'm not a country player. I'll never do country because it's not me. Okay. Mark, do you mind? Even just- my dad did that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm ho- I'll hope to see you over the weekend. I'll do my best to get to one of the shows. All right, Mark. Take care. Thank you. All right. All right bye. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Like I said at the beginning, that was a lengthy chat that uh, Richie managed to have with the one and only Mark Slaughter, all about everything going on with Slaughter today, as well as some great stories from the past. And, uh, you know, if you want to catch them on tour, you want to get the full schedule, you can go up to markslaughter.com and all the tour dates are up there. And he's got stuff up there that's booked right through until uh, February of uh, 2020. So all kinds of stuff. But uh, probably the dates coming up right after this airs is uh, they'll be in uh, Pinellas Park, Florida. They'll do... uh, El Cajon, California, Sacramento, California. They're they're all over the place. If you want to find out everywhere that they're playing, like I said, go to markslaughter.com. And while you're up there, you can also go over to his merch store. If you uh, have the desire to get either one of his solo releases signed, you can get Reflections in a Rearview Mirror signed or also the one that uh, he and Richie were talking about on uh, the show today called Halfway There. Either one of those, 25 bucks gets you a signed CD from Mark Slaughter. And, of course, you can find the guy on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, all the usual spots. But, again, say it again, go up to markslaughter.com, and up in the left-hand corner is all of the social links. And speaking of social links, you can always get a hold of us up on the net as well. As many of you know, we are on Facebook, on Twitter. We have a uh, blog site, focusonmetal.blogspot.com. Put mostly the show notes up there. And we have our main site. If you're new to the show, it's called focusonmetal.net. And we've got about 10 years worth of shows listed up there on the episodes page, many of them with links to either download or stream episodes. And, of course, you can get to us on both of our iTunes channels. And I guess uh, Richie's been delving into our YouTube channel again as well, which I've uh, been very successfully neglecting for oh, probably about nine years now. I know at the start we was putting stuff up there and uh, just kind of fell by the wayside. But anyways, we do have a YouTube channel as well. So what's up for next week? Not 100% sure, but if I'm able to get Richie down for a little bit of discussion, then I have got two very cool things, kind of like chocolate and peanut butter, two great things that go together. And I am really looking forward to using next week to bring those to you. So like I said, if Richie's able to get down and we're able to do a little bit of chat, a little talk about both of these things, then I think that next week we are going to have uh, two very cool, let's call it Metallica-related things all in one great bonanza show. But anyways, for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie myself and everybody else here at focus on metal have yourselves a great metal week and as always remember focus on metal everything else is insane
Go home.